Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Moving forward, that is our theme this year, or just simply forward to move ahead. You know, it's important, I believe, for us as a church. There's a lot that we need to do that I want us to do as a church that I believe is growing. We have young families. We have new families that have come even just over the last uh, few months, and I'm so thankful for that. You know, there are children's ministries that I believe that need to be expanded. There are Sunday school classes that need to be started or restarted. There's a nursery that needs to be staffed. Once again, uh, my and I were just talking about Wednesday night, uh, being able to have a kids club to bring the young people in and some of the ones that we have to bring them back on Wednesday night. Uh, these are things that we're talking about. The ladies are going to a conference in March. The ladies are doing ladies are doing all kinds of stuff. It's amazing what happens when we have a pastor's wife who's healthy. She's doing all, she's making me look bad, all the stuff that she wants to do. It's a wonderful, what a blessing it is uh, to be able to move forward as a church. But you know, a church can only move forward as the people who make up that church move forward as well. A church can only move forward as much as the people who make up that church or who attend that church move forward as well. Because as you know, the church is not a building. The church is not an establishment. The church is just an establishment or a place that's made up of people. And so, yeah, we meet at this location. Sure, we're at 800 Washington Street, but thank the Lord. Liberty Baptist Church isn't 800 Washington Street. Liberty Baptist Church is the membership of those who come and are a part. And Liberty Baptist Church is only as good as we, those who are part of this church, move forward for the cause of Christ. And we have a God who's worth moving forward for. We serve a God who is worthy of our praise, who is worthy of our worship, who is worthy of our service, who is worthy of our time and our talent and our treasure. And so God has called each and every one of us to be able to move forward. As much as we want to have a church that's on the move, and let me tell you, there's nobody who wants to have a church that moves forward as much as your pastor does. It's my heart. It's my vision. It's my passion. But it will only move forward as each of the individual parts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, each of the individual parts that make up this this organism that's called the church, we all move forward individually, then the organization moves forward together, and we do it not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of our Lord Jesus Christ, who saved us, who died for us, who lives and reigns on high today, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Why wouldn't we move forward for him? Why wouldn't we move forward? Well, that's the question the Apostle Paul has. And that's what he talks about in Philippians chapter number three. Now, I will warn you, we're going to kind of turn in our Bibles quite a bit here this morning and uh, get a little bit of exercise in our Bibles today as we look a little bit in Paul's life in the book of Acts and also in the epistles as well. But the title of my message this morning is this, Mile Markers as We Move Forward. Mile Markers as We Move Forward. I just mentioned that I was in Oklahoma just a few days ago and I had the opportunity on Wednesday night to preach in Stillwater, Oklahoma. That church is a blessing to us, particularly uh, because that was the church where Diane and I got married. It was her home church when she first came to the United States. She didn't really have a home here in the United States. And that church, about an hour from Oklahoma City, where we went to college, really took her in. And so it was a blessing to be able to go back. I'll be honest with you, they would have been much rather, they would have much rather seen Diane than me. Uh, and they made that quite clear while I was there. But, uh, you know, I feel the same way about Oklahoma, so who cares? But, uh, you know, uh, it, I, it was a blessing to be able to go and to preach and to explain to them who have supported this church as well for the last 10 plus years, to be able to show them a little bit about what God is doing here in the Northeast and that God still work even in blue states. 
that God's still at work. It was a blessing to be able uh, to talk to them about that. But I was driving home. I was by myself in a rented car. And uh, as I was doing so, I could see there was hardly anyone on the interstate. I mean, it's Oklahoma after all, and it was about 930 at night. And behind me, I saw some headlights, but I saw them going to the left and then going to the right and then going to the left and going to the right. And I looked and it was obvious that someone was either drunk or high or on their phone or anything that you know, like that. But they literally were covering uh, from the breakdown lane to the wall and everything in between. I mean, I've never seen someone probably swerve so much for such an extended period of time. And so I was so concerned about this that I decided to call 911, and that's what I did. And I called, and they you know, asked what the emergency was, and of course, then they had to, to, to get me to someone else. They had to get me to the highway patrol, and then I talked to them, and they said, can you describe the car? And I said, I cannot describe the car. And they said, well, why can't you describe the car? I said, well, it's behind me, and all I see is the headlights. And I wanted to say I can give you a great description of the headlights. Other than that, I really can't tell what's behind me. Uh, but then uh, she says, well, I don't. Uh, I need some sort of descriptor. And I was already prepared because I knew that I couldn't tell what the car looked like. And I said, I'm going I-35 south, and I just passed mile marker 163. She says, okay, we can work with that. If we get to that mile marker or a little bit beyond that mile marker and we see someone going from the breakdown lane to the wall, it'll be pretty obvious who it is. We don't need much more identification uh, than the location. And so I couldn't see anything. It was dark all around me. I couldn't see uh, who it was behind me. But just by telling what the mile marker was, I was able to tell where I was and I was able to discern that I was moving forward. That's what mile markers do. They help you understand where you are. Did you know that as we move forward in our Christian life, the Bible has some mile markers for us to help us understand if we're moving forward or not. Sure, it's easy for me to say whether I'm moving forward for the cause of Christ or not, but yet I am not the judge of whether I am moving forward for the cause of Christ. If Jesus Christ is the Word, which he is, John 1, 1, then shouldn't we look in his word to tell whether we are moving forward or not? And so we're going to see here in Philippians chapter 3 the need to move ahead and then look at what some of those mile markers are. So would you stand please for the reading of God's word? We're in Philippians chapter number 3. And thank you for standing for the reading of his word. Big snowstorm out there today. All right. I keep seeing about a flake every minute just go by. All right. Welcome to New England. We'll probably have a blizzard tomorrow. All right, Philippians 3, beginning verse number 13. And you may be familiar with these two verses. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In fact, that's so short, I feel like we probably need to read it again. So you just follow along, read it to yourself as I read out loud. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Paul says that in his life, He's not going backwards. He says that rather he's going forward for the cause of Christ. He says, I haven't arrived yet. I have not apprehended. Could we all probably raise our hands and say, yeah, I'm there. I haven't apprehended yet. I've been saved one year, five years, 50 years. It doesn't matter. We all have to be able in the humility of our heart to say, I've not gotten there yet. I've not arrived. Listen, 
if the Apostle Paul says, I haven't gotten there yet, what right do I have to say that I've gotten there? He says, I haven't apprehended. He says, but there's one thing I am assured of, and it's this. He says, forgetting the things that are behind me, and I'm reaching forth to those things uh, which are before. Uh, listen, that's what a race is all about, isn't it? You don't worry about what's behind you when you're running the road race. All that's of concern to you is what's ahead. Listen, once you pass mile marker one on the Boston Marathon, you don't concern yourself with what happened in the mile before. Once you pass mile marker 10, you don't worry about it. Once you go over Heartbreak Hill, you're not worried about what's behind you on Heartbreak Hill. Once you're getting to Boylston Street, you're not concerned with what's behind you. It's always about what's before, and that's what life is. By the way, I'm looking at a lot of people here this morning who have a backstory. I'm looking at a lot of people who have a history. Maybe, maybe you would disagree, but you were something before you got saved that's not what it is now. And I want to remind you that no matter what that story could have been before you got saved or whatever that story could have been, maybe while you were saved, but then you wandered away from God a while. Listen, uh, don't worry about those things that are behind. Thank God that he brought you out of that. I'm not saying you shouldn't be thankful for that, but reach forward to the things that are before. That's what this year's theme is all about. I'm going forward for the cause of Christ. And further, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he says this, he's concerned with the press. He's concerned with the press. And the idea of the press, I press toward the mark, it's to move forward with urgency. I move forward with urgency. When I was a basketball coach, I don't talk about it much anymore. I just mention it about 18 times a year now compared to when I used to, uh, but I've gotten better at it. But when I was a basketball coach, coach, there were times that we had a zone defense and everybody had a place where they would stand and they guarded whoever. There was a time you had man defense and you just guarded your man uh, when they crossed half court typically. But there were times there was a full court press. That's usually where we were behind, which actually happened a lot now that I think about it. Uh, but what that full court press was this. As soon as we no longer have the ball and you possess the ball, we are urgently upon you making sure you don't have the ball. That means that as soon as they throw the ball in, coast to coast, side to side, uh, sideline to sideline, we're going to be all over you. Uh, why? It's a full court press. There was an urgency. We're behind. We've got to get the ball back. We've got to score. And we've got to do it a bunch of times to catch up. And so here's what we got to do. we got the press. That's what we would call it, just the press. It's on. But this is what God says for us through the apostle uh, 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 Paul here. He says this, I press toward the mark, meaning he's not lackadaisically walking through life for Christ, but he realizes there's an urgency. He realizes there's a need. He realizes there's a race, and it's not to be started or completed whenever we feel like it, but there's an urgency because there's a war world that needs the gospel and there's an urgency to what we do and he says he, I'm concerned about the press but he also says I'm concerned about the prize because there is a prize that is available for those who run the race I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus you know there's a reason to move forward do you know and I didn't realize this till I just studied this out this week do you realize the prize for the person the man and the woman who win the Boston Marathon, $150,000. $150,000. Now, there's $150,000 I'm assured of never getting. $150,000 to win uh, the Boston Marathon. That's a pretty good prize. That's a pretty decent prize. It kind of helps you understand why some of those 
uh, professional runners would try to enter the Boston Marathon. It's not just the prestige of the marathon, maybe the most prestigious marathon in the world, but also the fact when you get to the end, there's a prize. Because I'll be honest with you, I've run some races and, and much shorter distances, uh, but I could imagine if you're at mile 25 and you feel like you're about to die, you're not worried about prestige anymore of the race. <laughs> you're not worried about who's watching you. But if you're in first place and you know there's someone behind you, you know what you're thinking about? The prize. You know, there are times in golf that if someone misses the final putt at the final hole of a tournament, that that putt could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. How would you like to stand over a five-foot putt knowing that if you missed it, you lost half a million dollars? That happens sometimes in professional golf. Well, why do their nerves start uh, playing, getting the best of them? Why, why does a, a putt that all of a sudden they would make in their sleep cause them to get what the golfers call the yips when they kind of they don't know what they're doing and they knock it five feet past the hole? You know why? Because of the prize. They're thinking about the prize. So why do we press forward? We don't just press forward uh, because of, of the need that's out there, but we also realize that there is a prize. By the way, it's greater than $150,000. By the way, it's greater than half a million dollars. No, the prize that God has for us is placed for us in an account where moth and dust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. You and I have an eternal prize that's available for us for walking and running the race that God has for us. And Paul understood that and he wanted to run the race. But here's the question. How do you run the race? How do you run the race? Well, pastor, I'm just going to, I'm going to do what I want, but I'm going to do it in the name of the Lord. Well, that sounds good, but how do you know that you're running the right race? Well, the apostle Paul in his life has given us what I would call some mile markers. He's placed some mile markers for us in the inspiration of God's word to help us understand the race that he was going to run, the race that he did run, and the race's fulfillment. And I wanna share those mile markers with, with you today because you would say, well, what do I have in common with the apostle Paul? I mean, he was an apostle and who am I? He was a great missionary and who am I? And well, I would share your sentiment in that. I'm nothing compared to the apostle Paul, but at the same time, uh, he was a man just as I'm a man. And the way he came to the Lord and the way that he had to grow in the Lord was just the same as it is for us today. No matter the quality of the person, no matter the time frame that that person lived, that we all come to Christ the same way and we all live for Christ in the same way. Those mile markers haven't changed. And so I want us to look at these quickly this morning, and I want to ask you this, what mile marker are you at today? What mile marker would you be able to say you're at, and are you willing to move forward to the next marker? What marker are you at today, and are you willing, with the help of God, to move to the next marker? See, the first mile marker is this number one, the mile marker of salvation. Turn to Acts chapter 9 very quickly. Acts chapter 9. Oh, that clock's moving fast today. All right, Acts chapter 9. You remember that Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul. And Saul was not a very nice man. That Saul was not one who appreciated Christians. That Saul was not one who lived for the Lord, although he believed he was living for the Lord. He thought by eradicating 
the Jesus cult that was there at that time, which is what he would have thought that it was. I don't believe that the <laughs> believing in Jesus Christ is a cult, but in his mind, this was a sect of the Jewish uh, belief that was a cult, this cultish belief that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he thought in his zeal for God that he would help eradicate that way. In fact, that's what the word of God calls it, that way. He was going to eradicate it. And so he was on his way to Damascus to do just that, but he literally ran into Jesus Christ. No, no, that's what happened. On the road to Damascus, he literally ran into Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ, uh, uh, in his resurrected form, meets him on the road to Damascus. Uh, for the sake of time, look at verse number four. It says, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I think it's interesting. This isn't my message, but Saul never persecuted Jesus one time. But just the fact that he was persecuting his believers... You know what Jesus is saying there? You think you're fighting with these people, but you're fighting against me. You think you're fighting against these people in this way, in this what you believe is a cult. No, no, but what you're doing is you're actually picking a fight with me. Listen, I'd pick a fight with any of you before I pick a fight with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to pick a fight with any of you, but you understand what I'm saying here this morning because I think Priscilla's got a tough right cross. But anyway, um, it, it's even at... <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan just bowed his head and closed his eyes right there. Okay, that was more than I was expecting. All right, but look at verse number five. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What he's saying there without going to the background is this. He says, it's hard to fight against what God is doing in your life. Could some of you maybe say, it's hard to fight what God's doing in your life. It's hard to fight against it. In fact, it's pointless to fight against what God is doing in your life. Verse number six, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. You say, well, uh, pastor, you said that he got saved. Where does it say that he said, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Where's the sinner's prayer here? Well, I can't show you that, but I will tell you this from this moment on, Saul's life changed forever. When he encountered Jesus Christ, his life changed forever. Why? Jesus said, arise and go into the city and I'll tell you what I'll do. And in verses number eight and nine, it says this, he arose and he went into the city and he waited to see what God would do. He did exactly what Jesus Christ had told him to do. Before, he was fighting against Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ has become his master and he's listening to him. What's happened? I would submit to you that there on that Damascus road and in the three days that he stood there blind, praying, uh, fasting, waiting for God to speak to him, it was somewhere during that period of time that he accepted Jesus Christ as savior. Why? Because his life changed forever. His life changed forever. And I want to remind you today, and I know that I'm preaching to those who are coming to an independent Baptist church and you're sitting here on a Sunday morning and I know that, but can I remind you that the very first mile marker of anyone's life is this, you must come to Jesus Christ his way. He may not have appeared to you in a vision. He may not have appeared to you on the day through his word. He is being presented to you today through the preaching of his infallible, inspired, holy word. And you cannot do anything else in life. You cannot go any other situation that you would like to go. But to do this, you must go by the way of the cross. The way of the cross leads home. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, your savior, you must know him today. You might be kicking against the pricks. You might be trying to fight against him. You might be trying to go your own way. But friend, you can only kick against those pricks so long because it says the Bible says it has been appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment, you must be ready for the judgment and you must.
going to Jesus Christ in faith by him and him alone, understanding that only he can forgive you of your sins. If you repent of those sins and call upon him to save you, he will save you today. Will you submit to the gospel? That's the first mile marker. You must submit to the gospel. By the way, if you skip a mile marker, you can't keep going. It would be like driving down the road and seeing mile marker 163 and the next one was mile marker 165 and then trying to go back to 164. You can't do that. It would be like trying to run the Boston Marathon and starting at mile marker 26 and trying to go back to number one. It doesn't work like that. And we have to see, even through Paul's life, as he pressed toward the mark, the very first mile marker was salvation. But number two, I see the mile marker of baptism. The mile marker of baptism. So Paul, Saul, gets saved, and God appears to a man named Ananias. Ananias was there in Damascus. Ananias was afraid. You know why? Because he knew Saul was coming to Damascus to persecute and to very likely take many of them back to Jerusalem and imprison them. But yet God appears uh, to uh, Ananias and he says in this vision that I want you to go, I want you to meet Saul, and I want you to baptize him. Now you want to talk about faith. Maybe we could dwell on the faith of Ananias for a second. That you want me to do what with Saul? Who did what? And is going where? To heaven? Well, anybody but Saul. I mean, he's trying to persecute us. That we were trying to get our affairs in order because he knew he was going. We knew he was going to drag some of us to Jerusalem. But look at what it says in verse number seventeen. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, "And by the way, one of the most tender, one of the most wonderful words in the Bible. He calls him brother, Saul. The man who came to throw him into prison three days before, he now calls brother." Can we think about that for a second? Can we think about how amazing the gospel is this morning? That the man who wanted to throw him into prison, uh, uh, now he goes up to him and he calls him brother. Why do we call each other brother uh, here at a church and, and even sisters sometimes? Why? Because we are part of the family of God and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and arose. And what was the very next thing he did? and was baptized. By the way, you can go all throughout the book of Acts and you'll always see that the order of, of, of operation, if you will, is that someone is saved and then they were baptized. You say, well, pastor, I was baptized as a baby. I would submit to you, you didn't get baptized, you just got wet when you were a baby. And I say that not to be disrespectful to you, but the Bible says the order of operation is always salvation, then baptism. Go look through the book of Acts. Go look in the epistles. You'll never find where someone is baptized before they were saved. You will never find an infant which was baptized in the word of God because someone has to be to the age where they can understand the gospel and call upon Jesus Christ, their savior. That doesn't mean that little ones can't get baptized and little ones can't get saved. Uh, there are times that that is the case, but certainly a babe, uh, certainly an infant has no understanding of the gospel. You always see that baptism is the next step of salvation. In fact, we call it this. It's the next step of obedience after salvation. And there may be some who are here today. You've been saved, but you've never been biblically baptized. Could I encourage you? Here in a few weeks, we're going to baptize here at Liberty Baptist Church. And if you're concerned about that, I'd like you to talk to me. I'd like to talk to you about what that means and what baptism means and what it symbolizes. Uh, it doesn't make you more saved. It's a 
public profession of what God has done inside of your heart. And maybe you've skipped that step or maybe you just haven't done that step yet and it feels like your spiritual life just isn't clicking. It's just not going the way it should. It may be because God's saying, I want you to obey here and you can't keep moving on to the next mile marker until you get this mile marker right. Because that's the order that God has put it. It's salvation, then baptism, and then number three, there's the mile marker of church membership. There's the mile marker of church membership. Look at verse number 19. It says, and when he had received meat, we're still talking about Saul, which is Paul, he was strengthened, then was Paul Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. You know, here's Saul. If this was written in 2023, he would have got saved baptize and just listen to a few podcasts or just watch churches on live stream. But, but you know what he did? He realized there's something that is involved in the local church that you can't get anywhere else. You know, we can watch sermons online. I, I, I think it's a good thing. I'm not making fun of that at all today. If there are podcasts that encourage you in the things of the Lord with the right teaching, I'd encourage that. But there is not enough live streams, there's not enough podcasts, there's not enough anything that will ever substitute for God's institution, the local church. Do you know what a podcast can't do? Can't visit you in the hospital. You know what a podcast can't do? It can't pray for your children. You know what a podcast can't do? It can't bury your dead or marry those who wish to be brought forth in marriage. You know what a live stream can't do? Other than take your money, not much. And by the way, they could collect your money and still not do anything for you. That, that's usually the case, isn't it? God instituted the local church knowing that we need fellowship, knowing that we need growth. I believe this, that every person should be a member of a local uh, New Testament Baptist church. Now, I wished everybody would be a member of Liberty. I really do. That's my desire, that everyone would not just come to Liberty, but be a member at Liberty. And I don't know if that's the way God is leading you uh, today, but certainly uh, if, you, uh, if God leads you to another establishment and leads you somewhere, listen, I want you to be where God leads you. But do this, wherever God leads you, get involved and be a part of a local church. Much of the service that we do at our church is reserved for members. And there's a reason why, because uh, we are part of the fellowship together. And God teaches in 1 Corinthians 12 that the needs of the church are supplied by those who are members of the church. And so when we ask about giving and we talk about serving, uh, we're not asking necessarily for those who are not members and those who are visitors. We're talking about those who are members. But you say, well, that sounds very exclusion, exclusionary. No, it's actually inclusive because those who have gone through the first two mile markers, we want to encourage you to be a part of church membership. And that's the way God leads you. Uh, but maybe sometimes I, I just assume that everybody understands this. But I was just even praying about this week and realized... Sometimes I think I don't talk and preach about it enough so that people don't understand this is the way it works. That this is the way it works. And you may not see church membership there in Acts chapter 9, and I realize that might be it's a little bit of a stretch. But how about Acts chapter 2, verse 41? The day of Pentecost. And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same were added unto them. Who is them? The church. About 3,000 souls, which, by the way, was, that church was established before the day of Pentecost. And that's important. Because if it just got established that day, 3,000 people couldn't be added unto them. To add unto them means it was something that was already established. The church established by Jesus Christ, there were people who were saved, they were baptized, they were added unto them. And verse number 47, and the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. 
That's the mile marker. Number four, how about this mile marker? The mile marker of discipleship. Galatians chapter one. Galatians chapter one. The mile marker of discipleship. Oh, I got to go quick. Galatians chapter one. If we were to continue reading in Acts chapter nine, we find that Paul is now part of this church in Damascus and he starts to preach and people don't like it. Not the people in the church. The people in the church love it. The one who came to persecute them is now their brother, is now their brother in Christ. But there are people in Damascus who were counting on him eradicating the way. And he has now not just left the way alone. He has now started to advocate for the way to the very people that he was working for just a few days before. And now when he was persecuting those who preached Jesus, he was preaching Jesus. Well, people didn't like it. What happened? He had to escape Damascus. And the Bible tells us that for three years that he went into a region of the desert called Arabia. Look at Galatians chapter one, verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him for 15 days. Now, lest you think that he for three years was just sitting alone in the desert, uh, I believe that if you were to look at uh, 1 Corinthians, or rather 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, I believe that while he was in the desert, he was literally taught by Jesus Christ for three and a half years. He said he was caught up into the third heaven. Uh, this is important because if Paul was to be an apostle, he must be taught by Jesus Christ for three years like the other apostles were. And so I believe that he literally had school with Christ in the desert and was regularly caught up into the third heaven, was regularly taught by Jesus Christ. And so even Saul, uh, who became Paul, had a time of discipleship and a time of growth. Uh, this morning, listen, sometimes... trying for us to restart a discipleship program here uh, at our church. But discipleship isn't a program per se. Discipleship is a lifestyle. Discipleship is not a program. Discipleship is a lifestyle. It's what we do every day. I become a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to learn of him. I want to grow of him. I want him to teach me. And when he teaches me, I want to do what he tells me to do. So see, as you go through these mile markers, you're saved, you're baptized, you join a church. And then part of that process of joining a church is you get discipled. We disciple one another. We get discipled by the teaching and by the preaching. Why do you have three services, Pastor? Oh, it's so many because there's so much we've got to talk about and there's so much we've got to learn and there's so much we've got to study. Listen, three hours a week uh, compared to what the world indoctrinates into us is a drop in the bucket. You could cancel that out with one movie. You could cancel that out just by driving down the street for the month and looking at the billboards and the things at the checkout lines and the commercials, not even the shows, the commercials in between the shows. To me, three hours or so a week to train ourselves in the Word of God, the Bible says we need more of Him as we see the day approaching, not less. If I'm tempted to do anything for services, it's not to take away a service, it's to add services. Oh, Pastor, please don't do that. No, that's not what I'm saying. But understand what I'm saying is this. We look at the world and we see things, people will watch a golf tournament for five hours and literally watch grass grow. People will watch the NFL playoffs. They'll watch a triple header today. 
a triple header, triple deca. How about that? that that felt good, all right? Uh, you know, they'll watch three <laughs> games in a row today. Nine hours of football smorgasbord. They'll watch the Super Bowl and the 10 hours of pregame before the Super Bowl as they examine every blade of grass, as they interview the scoreboard operator, and they interview the season ticket holder who's been going for 60 years to all the games. And people will sit there in rapture, just watching all of these things, and people's eyes will glaze over when it comes to church. Well, why do we need it? Because we need to be discipled. And we've got to read our Bibles, and we've got to grow. And it's not just a program where a teacher sits down with a book and goes through 12 weeks of lessons, although we need to do that here. And I'm praying we can move forward in this area. But at the same time, until then, what do we do? Like Paul realized, I need to grow, and Jesus Christ is going to teach me. We go to the Word. We go to the one who wrote the Word, who was the Word, Jesus Christ. And we say, teach me in your ways, and we're discipled. That's part of moving forward. Are you moving forward? Well, I'm going to be discipled, but I'm not going to be part of a church. That's going to be hard because you're going to find a lot of the New Testament talks about the church. Well, I'm going to be a disciple, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to be baptized. Well, you're going to find that hard because Jesus' command was to be baptized, and you're ignoring the very first. Do you see how the mile markers come into play? Salvation, baptism, church membership, discipleship. There are four mile markers, and the fifth and the final one here this morning is this. It's not even a mile marker. It's the finish line. You know there's going to be a finish line someday? We don't like thinking about it. But there is going to be a finish line. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you turn there quickly, represents the end of Paul's life. He's no longer Saul. He's now been on four missionary journeys. He's been in prison twice. He knows that his life is about to end. And as such, he gives us the final words here inspired by the very Holy Spirit who empowered him through those four missionary journeys and through his journeys through those mile markers. He pressed, and now the prize is coming to view. He pressed. Remember, I pressed toward the mark, and now the prize is coming to view. Second Timothy chapter 4, look at verse number 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Uh, my course. What, what does that mean? A, a race. I have finished the course that God has laid before me. I have done what? I've kept the faith. I've run well. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. I got to go to that funeral yesterday, and there was a man who had gone through the course for 65 years, over 30 of which he had been the pastor of the same church, the only church he ever pastored in his very hometown. And as I watched and they asked, if you were a church planter, please stand. And all the church planters that that church had supported stood up and it was significant. I said, all the pastors, if, if Brother Baker made a difference in your life, please stand. And pastors stood all over that room, dozens of them that he had invested in. And they said, if you're a member of Naughty Oak Baptist Church or one of the two church plants in Portsmouth, New Hampshire or Portsmouth, Rhode Island and in Providence, Rhode Island, will you please stand? And scores and scores of people stood up. A life touched. 65 is so young. It's young. It really is. But you know what I looked at? I looked at a man who had gone through all the mile markers and he got to the finish line. And I can't know anyone's heart, but I have to imagine that when he got to heaven, he heard, well done, that good and faithful servant. You know, 
all the baseball games, the softball games, the football games, all the trivialities of this world, at that moment, when you go from this life to glory, mean almost nothing. In fact, I'd probably amend that and say they probably mean less than nothing. They really do. But here's a man who kept the faith. He'd gone through the mile markers. He encouraged hundreds of people, men and women, boys and girls, to go through the mile markers. The story was told about how he led a man by giving a tract to a Palestinian in Israel, found out five years later that that Palestinian man who read the tract got saved and that his entire family got saved as well. You say, Pastor, that can't happen. A Palestinian getting saved, a Muslim uh, getting saved, a Muslim uh, that would have to give up so much to be able to, to, to uh, count the cost and to be saved. Uh, uh, no, th th these things don't happen with us, but with God. All things are possible. If someone's willing to press toward the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus, it doesn't happen to those who are stationary, and it doesn't happen to people that want to go in reverse. It happens to those who press toward the mark. Boston Marathon. You know, every year, every year, there are hundreds of people that run the Boston Marathon that don't enter. I don't know if you ever heard of this. Hundreds of people, they don't enter the race. By the way, it costs a lot of money to enter the race, to get that bib that you wear that tracks your time. It's thousands of dollars you have to raise for charity or you have to run an extremely fast uh, uh, marathon previously. So there's hundreds of people every year that just jump in the race, <laughs> start somewhere in Hopkinton, and just kind of jump in through the line, and they run. They're called bandits, and they run the race. But you know what's amazing about the bandits? They could run all 26.2 miles, but their name's never on the list. Their times are never recorded. They get no prize. They get nothing. Why? They didn't make the race following the rules that were set out for them. I feel like there's a lot of people who either want to be Christians or who call themselves Christians that run the race of life like a bandit. Well, this is how I see it, Pastor. And I hear you because I have a lot of opinions too. But your opinion's as valuable as mine, which means... We could go in circles about them, but in the end, they're of no consequence. The only thing that matters is not our opinions. It's the facts of the Word of God. You know, sometimes they're inconvenient. No, sometimes they're inconvenient. Sometimes they run afoul of our sensibilities or our plans or what we want to do. No, they do. Sometimes I read this and I think I don't want to do that be honest with you this morning. Probably a good thing for a pastor to be, huh? There are times I read some things in here like, no, I, I don't want to do that. I don't. Well, I mean, I can do this over here and still do what the Bible says and try to live like a double-minded man, which James says is unstable in all his ways. Like a man keeping his foot on a boat and a dock at the same time. Eventually something's going to give and it's probably going to be you when you go in the water. And some of you might be living your Christian life like that. You've got one foot on the dock, one foot on the boat, and you can feel them separating. And something's got to give. It's going to be you. And some of us can say it from experience in our lives. There's mile markers God has set. If you've missed one today, the beauty of it is if you've missed one, you can go back. You can get to the mile marker and move ahead.
You need to be saved today. Don't wait. Do not wait. You don't know that you have tomorrow. Pastor Baker uh, was in the hospital one day recovering, and the next day he was in the glory of God. He had surgery, but was expected to recover. One day, another. But we have this confidence he's in heaven today. Do you have that confidence? Could you say with unshakable faith, not in yourself, but in him, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, salvation in him and him alone, confessing your sins before him, do you know that you're saved today? Have you been biblically baptized? Fall in the mode of the word of God, immersion, to be buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of the resurrection. Read Romans chapter 6, why that's so important instead of sprinkling, because we're buried as in Jesus being buried, rise again as Jesus rose from the dead. Be a member of a church. It's not just about attending. I believe it's about being a member, about joining and being a part, adding your unique capabilities that God has given you so that we're all better together and so we can reach the world better together. About discipleship, Pastor, I'm going to move forward this year. I'm going to grow. I'm, I'm going to do more in my Bible. I'm going to do more memorization. I'm going to do more in prayer and fasting. I'm going to do these things. And I'm not asking you what you should do. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But I just know this. It's supposed to be forward, not backwards. I don't know what it is for you, but it needs to be forward, not backwards. And finally, will you do it in light of the finish line? There is a finish line. And I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But we have to press. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.